right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. Hey, I want you to get your Bible out and uh, let's dive into God's Word today. Open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one at your seat or you can open up your browser, however you get to God's Word. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're kind of launching into a new series called 316. Actually, we kind of did a soft start last week uh, on Easter. I taught on John 316. Uh, but you know, there are other 316s in the Bible, right? Other chapter 3 verse 16s. And so we're gonna be looking at several of them over the next several weeks weeks. And I think you're going to find this really challenging and really encouraging uh, to you today. Today, we're in 2 Timothy, looking at chapter 3, uh, verse 16. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was on a business trip to New York to uh, visit our church plant out there. And I, I could tell right off the jump that this was going to be one of those flights. You know what I'm talking about? One of those flights. I mean, it was an hour and a half before we got off the runway so we were already way late. And then uh, we hit a lot of storms. We were going around a lot of storms. A plane was tipping around quite a bit. We had, to, we had to do a holding pattern over Pennsylvania for about a half an hour. And then we tried to land twice and had to pull up for various reasons. I mean, it was, it was, not, it was not fun. They ended up dumping us out in Connecticut, you know? And so uh, let, me, let me say, nobody was happy uh, with that flight. And, and I did learn something from that flight. Here it is, very profound. No one likes turbulence, right? Nobody's like, woohoo, let's do that again, you know? Nobody likes turbulence. I mean, if the plane is moving around, nobody likes that right? I mean, when, when, when it's bumpy, everybody just wants to get on the ground, right? They want some solid ground, right? And uh, I, I tell you that because when you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, one of his younger church planters. As he gets to chapter 3, he's talking about turbulence, now, he's not talking about turbulence in the air. He's talking about turbulence in the world. And he's telling Timothy that the world is going to get very turbulent, especially in the last days. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 1. He said, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. Timothy, it's going to get really choppy. It's going to get really bumpy. It's going to be very turbulent in the world. I believe we're actually in the last days. I believe since the coming of Jesus until his return, that's the last day period. And, and I believe we're seeing a lot of this even playing out now. You say, well, what, what is it gonna look like when the world becomes turbulent? <clears throat> well, he kind of gives us a couple of things here right off the bat. In verses two through five, he talks about the chaos will become a chaotic a chaotic chaos. He lists 19 descriptors of what that's going to look like. We're not going to look to all of them, but just kind of look at some of them here. Uh, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, uh, demeaning, ungodly, unholy, ungrateful, unloving, brutal, without love for what is good, lovers of pleasure. It goes on and on. So he said, this is what the culture is going to be like in the last days, very chaotic. And for Christians, it's not gonna be that great either because number one, there are gonna be a lot of those that are trying to deceive you. There are gonna be a lot of people that are giving false gospels and false messages to try to manipulate you. He talks about that in verses three and following. 
But for those that are able to stand their ground against false teaching, well, they're just going to face flat out persecution. He talks about, Paul talks about his own persecution. And in verse 12, he said, in fact, everyone who, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this, this chaotic, turbulent world is going to have all these things churning in the culture, a lot of division, a lot of, a lot of turbulence, a lot of brutality, a lot of uh, alienation, a lot of conflict. And then Christians are either going to have to deal with persecution outright or false teaching that, to deceive them. There's a lot of stuff going on here. And, you know, as I was reading that this week, I thought, man, that sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? I mean, you could literally hold uh, 2 Timothy 3 up in your newsfeed and you would go, wow, there's a whole lot of similarity. So it really brings a question, well, how do, you, how do you stand in that? How do you live in that? How do you raise your kids in that? How do you, how do you raise your grandkids in that? I mean, well, how do you, what do we do? Where is solid ground when everything is turning like this? And Paul gives us an answer. And that answer is found in verse 14. Look at it. He said, but as for you, all this is going around you, Timothy. You can't change that. Can't control that. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. See that? Timothy, it's going to get crazy, all right? But you, as for you, you need to, you need to continue and what you know to be true and have firmly believed. The word continue means to hold on to, to cling to, to grab hold of, to not let go of. That's what he means. You gotta grab hold of what you know to be true. Now, in the next verse, verse 15, he talks about the holy scriptures. In verse 16, he talks about all scripture. So what he's talking about here is holding on to God's word. Man, when things get crazy out there, you've got to hold on to the word of God. Hey, this is not a time to deconstruct. It's a time to double down, to plant your feet on God's word given to us. And now more than ever before, do we not need God's word now? Absolutely we do. Let me just say this. If you were like out in the ocean, right? Just picture out in the ocean. It's a bad day for you. There's no one out there. No land in sight, no boats around. It's starting to get dark. The swells are growing and you're floating out there on a log, right? Like I said, bad day. How tightly would you hold on to that log? Yeah, you would hold on to it pretty tight, right? Why? Because your life depends on it. That's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Your life depends on this. In fact, Moses said the same thing in Deuteronomy 32. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. These words are your life. Hey, you got to hold on to this, man. You got you to put your feet down on this. This is solid ground for us. Are you holding on to the word of God? Is it your practice? Is your Bible tattered and marked up and, and highlighted because you are giving yourself to this word? I certainly hope so. But for many people, that's not the case, unfortunately. The American Bible Society does a study every year. They print it out called the State of the Bible. And this year I, I downloaded that report 
And uh, there was one graph that kind of stood out to me. They were measuring Bible engagement. Now listen, they, they say someone is engaged with the Bible if they read the Bible three times in a year. Okay, so that's a pretty low bar of Bible engagement. Would you agree with that? But nevertheless, that's, that's, that's their standard three times in a year. So this graph measures those who are disengaged, that is they don't read it that much, those who are kind of the movable middle, those that I guess read it once or twice a year, and then those that they would call engaged. And they measure it by the last four years, 2020, 21, 22, and, and 23. And if you'll notice right after the pandemic under the disengaged category, <clears throat> that, that Bible engagement or disengagement uh, went down in, in 2021. You see that? After the pandemic, people thought, oh, you know, maybe we got to study the Bible, right? So fewer people were disengaged and they moved. You can see in the next graph, they moved up from 66 to 95. See that? The movable window, at least they bumped up and ran at least once or twice. But if you'll notice the very next year in 2022, disengagement shoots back up which is really disheartening, right? Because it's like, okay, whew, the crisis has passed. Now I'm just back to living my life. What's even more disheartening to me on this graph is a Bible engagement, which is continually down year over year over the last four years. What that tells me is there are fewer and fewer people engaging with the scripture on a regular basis. So are you engaging with the scripture? How would you measure your engagement with God's word? How, how, how would you measure if you're holding on to God's word? Listen, Paul told Timothy, when the culture gets crazy, you've got to hold on to these words. These are your life. And you may say, well, why is the Bible something I should hold on to? Why isn't it something else? How can I even know if I can trust the Bible? Which is a very current question today. And Paul goes on to talk about why we should hold on to God's word. All right. I'm going to give you three reasons today. Once you get your paper out, pen out, uh, your device ready to go, and we're going to, I'm going to take these notes down. Uh, I want you to write three things down. Okay. He's going to give us three reasons why we can trust the scripture and why we should hold on to them. Uh, the first one is, you know, who taught it to you you know who taught it to you. Look at verse 14. By the way, this is the word of God, amen? Second Timothy 3, verse 14 <clears throat> says, but as for you, continue what you've learned and firmly believed. You know the, those who taught you and you know that from infancy, you have known the sacred scriptures. Now stop right there. He said, Timothy, one reason why you need to hold on to God's word is you know the people that have taught you the word of God. You know the people that have invested in your life. Now, I think he's probably referring there to Timothy's mother and his grandmother. They're mentioned in chapter one of this book. And in chapter one, his mother Lois, his grandmother Eunice, these were people that invested in Timothy. Dad's not mentioned. We don't know if dad's dead at this point. We don't know if he's just disengaged. He's not a believer. We don't know. But what we do know is that he, Timothy had a godly mom and he had a godly grandmother that invested in his life spiritually. And look at it, from infancy taught him the scriptures that he began to know and understand and formulate in his mind a worldview based on the scriptures from his 
parents, from his mom and his grandma who loved him very much. And now they aren't the only one that invested in him. If you look at in verse 10, Paul says, hey, you know my way of life. I've invested in you. You know my persecutions and my endurance. You follow my example. So there were other men speaking into Timothy's life too. And, and he's saying, listen, Timothy, hey, you, these people have invested the truth in you. You don't just walk away from that. Emulate their example. Follow their example. Remember the people who taught the word of God to you. Man, I'm so thankful for the people that taught the word of God to me. I really am. I had a mom and a dad that taught me God's word when I was a little boy, made sure that I came to church, that taught me the scriptures throughout the week. We had spiritual conversations on a regular basis. We memorized scripture. We talked about the word. Uh, and I'm so thankful for their life that they continue to be people of the word and continue to always point me back to God's word. But I had pastors that taught the Bible. I mean, it was common that my pastor growing up, he would say, open your Bible and everybody opened their Bibles. And I never heard a sermon that wasn't from God's word. What a blessing that is, right? I had youth pastors that taught me the word of God. When I was in college, I had a college director that would sit down with me and for hours go over all my questions. Can you imagine? All my questions, just legal pads full. I don't understand this. I, and they, he's patiently invested in my life. How thankful I am for him. I'm thankful for a pastor in, in college that uh, made, he was a verse by verse Bible guy. And I just learned so much from him. I'm thankful when I was in seminary, I had professors that believed the word of, word of God and taught me to trust it. I'm thankful for a pastor that was a mentor of mine when I was in seminary that always taught from God's word. I'm thankful for three businessmen when I went to Oklahoma that invested in my life and taught me not only how to love God's word, but also how to invest God's word in other people. I mean, I'm here, but behind me are all these people that have been speaking and shaping my life. And listen, that's not just me, that's you too. There have been people that have invested in you, have taught you, have implored that you walk with God, who have who've from infancy raised you up. Maybe you had godly parents, praise God for that. Maybe not, there were other people that invested in you. And what, Tim, what Paul is telling Timothy is, hey, don't turn your back on them. I mean, there are all these people that have poured into you and then you're just gonna say, well, whatever. No, you know the people that have taught you. Hey, stay with the word of God that they taught you. Some of you have generations of believers in your family. What a treasure that is. You don't want it to end with you. Now, I regularly tell my daughters, hey, it's not just about you. You got uh, your, your, your dad and your mom and then your grandparents and your great, I can go back generations to believers. This is a legacy of faith that has been placed in your hands. And so he said, hey, you, you know the word of God. Now, let me just, a quick word to parents here. Parents, uh, perk up for just a minute. Uh, notice that discipleship began in the home with Timothy from infancy discipleship begins in your home it starts with you the church is here to support you to encourage you to help you but if you're expecting the church on one hour once a week uh, at best maybe every other week to shape your kids a worldview it's not going to happen this happens daily in your home it says you begin to invest so you must have a plan to disciple your own children in the word of God and listen if you don't disciple your kids uh, your the culture will 
classes in session 24-7 on every social media platform. They're training your kids to think in ways that are not according to God's word. And so you must lay down that foundation early and continue to affirm that foundation of God's truth. So the first thing he said is, why should I hold on to God's word? Well, you know the people that taught it to you. You know the investment that's been in you. Don't walk away from it. But secondly, he also says, not only did you know who taught it to you, but secondly, you know where it comes from. You know where it comes from. Look at verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God. Now just stop right there for a minute. Those few words are pregnant with meaning, all right? Dense theological understanding here, all right? All scripture is inspired by God. Now, he starts off saying all scripture. What is he talking about here exactly? Well, he certainly means in the immediate context, the Old Testament, right? Because those were the scriptures that uh, they had prior to the writing of the New Testament. Uh, But I believe he's referring here also to the New Testament. And so all scriptures meaning the old and the new. Paul speaks uh, to the Ephesian elders. He talks about the whole counsel uh, of God. And so listen, Uh, In your sermon notes, if you go to our church app, click on sermon notes, you'll see the manuscript. I have lots of additional content in there about why uh, we believe that when he says all scripture, he means Old and New Testament. So you can dive into that. I put that in there because when I have time, we'd be here for about an hour. And I don't think you want an hour sermon, all right? So I'm putting, you're welcome. I'm putting it in the notes. (laughs) You can read that uh, this afternoon on your own. I hope that you will. All right, but here he's saying all scripture. Why do we teach Old and New Testament? Because it's all scripture. We believe that the whole Bible is inspired by God. Now, what does he mean by inspired by God? Some people think, oh, that means inspiring, right? When I read the scripture, it's so inspiring. Or, you know, I I listen to inspirational music because it's Bible music. No, 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 it's not inspiring, it's inspired. Inspired, what does that mean? inspired by God. Well, the word is a a combo word. It it literally means theos noustos. Theos is God in Greek. Noustos means to breathe. That's where we get the word pneumonia from. So what what it literally is translated is it is God breathed. Now, this idea of inspiration of scripture is about the source of scripture. It describes where it comes from, that the scriptures come from God. They are breathed out by God. They are the word of God in the words of God. That's what it means, inspired by God. Now that Jesus held this view, remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 4, and uh, he quotes uh, Deuteronomy 6, 8, which says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes out of the what? The mouth of God. In other words, he understood that the scripture comes out of God's mouth. It comes from God. Its source, its origin is from God. And so that's what Paul's saying. Timothy, you know, this word is word of God. And you say, well, hold on, preacher. See, I got a problem with that. You know somebody wrote this thing down, right? I mean, it just didn't like pop out of the sky. It wasn't like a book, poop, you know, fell on somebody's desk, right? 
Somebody had to write this down. So how can you say it's from God when obviously man wrote this thing down? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked. So well, let's, let's let Peter answer that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, this is what he said. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? So what he's saying is this, the Holy Spirit led the apostles who had been set apart by Jesus for the very purpose of writing down scripture. The Holy Spirit inspired, the Holy Spirit led, the Holy Spirit carried along uh, these apostles to write down the truth revealed to them. And that truth, those books were authorized by the apostles they were verified by the early church and ultimately ratified as a, as, a, as a group called the biblical canon in the Council of Carthage in 397 AD. All right, that's the process. Nobody just sat down and said, I don't think I'm going to write the Bible today. All right, no. Uh, this was a work of God, the very words of God. Hey, this is not a big deal. Because uh, if you think God created the world, do you think God can write a book? Somebody think, you think God can write a book? Yes or no? Yeah, I think God can write a book. But it's not just any book. It's a supernatural book. There's no other book even like it. There's no other book like the Bible. You can't compare it to the Quran. You can't compare it to the uh, uh, Book of Mormon. You can't compare it to the, they're completely different categories. How is that? Well, the book is actually like a library. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three different continents over a span of 1,500 years. All different walks of life, all different kinds of people, all different situations, and yet it's all woven together with one single message of the plan of God and the person of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. How in the world do you explain that? There's another book like that. Not anywhere even close it's not like any other book. Wycliffe Translators now tells us that the Bible's been translated into 3,495 different translations as of 2021. Over 633 million portions of the Bible have been distributed all over the world. It's not like any other book. This book has predictive nature to it. There are hundreds of actual prophecies that have come true. And, and not just kind of general prophecies, but with great specificity, over 70 that were just fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ were foretold hundreds of years before he ever was born. How do you explain that? No other book like that. No other book. This book has been banned more than any other book, burned more than any other book, outlawed more than any other book, and yet here it still remains. The word of God that is transforming people's lives one verse at a time. This, is, this book is not like any other book. This is God's book that God wrote. Uh, the Bible calls uh, the Holy Scriptures a lamp to your feet and a light to your path in Psalm 119. It is a hammer that breaks down the hard places and a fire that burns off the dross in Jeremiah 23. It is a sword that cuts through the heart in Hebrews 4.12, an anchor for troubled times in Hebrews 6.19. It's no ordinary book. Psalm 19 says that it is perfect 
renewing uh, the soul. It is trustworthy, giving wisdom to your mind. It is, it is right, making you glad. It is radiant, opening up your eyes. It is pure, enduring forever. It is reliable and altogether righteous. This is not like any other book. This is God's book that God has preserved and God has written and God has passed down to you. And you know how many people around this world would love to have a copy of our book, would love, would scramble to get just a, just a page out of the word of God. And yet how many books you have on your Bible, on your shelf at home that are gathering dust when God has written a book to you. You talk to people that love the Lord that really walk with God. And you know what I know about them? They love this book. Hey, if I'm gonna do your funeral, and I do lots of funerals to people that sit in here, I don't wanna scare anybody, but it happens. <laughs> and I say, let me see their Bible, which I often do. What am I gonna see? Are the pages sticking together? Got to open it up? Or is it tattered and written and worn over? Do I see spots where tears have dropped on this book? John Wesley, a great revivalist, he said, at any price, give me the book of God. Let me be a man of one book. Are you a, a man of one book? Are you a woman of one book? That you love God's word? That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Timothy, it's crazy out there, man. So turbulent. Hold on. Grab a hold of. Firmly grasp what you know to be true. The people in your life have been investing in you. You know it comes from God. It's not like any other book. But then he goes on to give us one more thing. You know what it can do. Another reason why we believe it's true is because we know what it can do. Look at verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness so the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He gives here six reasons why, what the Bible does for us. Six things the Bible does for us. I'm gonna go through them. Uh, don't worry, we can get through it pretty quickly, all right? But I want you to stay engaged with me here. Six things. If you're jotting notes, jot these six things down. And I want you to look at them and think about them throughout the week. Number one, uh, the word of God gives wisdom about salvation to you, all right? Verse 15, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's verse 15, all right? So this Bible brings you to Christ. It's only through this book that you know that God loves you, that God created, there's a God who created the world, that there's a God to whom we must give an account. It's only through this book that you know your own sinfulness, your own waywardness, and that you've sinned against God and you deserve judgment. That he's a God that is love, but he's also God that's holy and righteous and just. It's only through this book that you understand that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's only through this book that you understand the cruel cross and the, and, and the empty tomb. And it's only through this book that you understand how you can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's through this book. 
It's only through this book that you understand the spirit that lives within you and that your past is behind you and the mediator is above you and heaven is before you and, and there's work to be done. All that, all that comes from this book. That's the only way you know it. God has revealed himself in, in the creation, yes, but more specifically through the word of God. Listen, if you're saved today, if you've given your life to Christ, somebody opened this book to you. Thank God that somebody opened up this book. So it makes you wise to salvation. Second thing it also does is it teaches you. It teaches you doctrine. It teaches you truth. It is a source of truth. Source of doctrine. It is a plumb line. It is a standard. You know, I, when, when my uh, oldest daughter went off to college, I said, okay, here's the deal. You're going to hear a lot of things that you've never heard before. And you're going to be exposed to a lot of thoughts that are not biblical thoughts. I said, here's what I need you to understand. Uh, you have been taught God's word your whole life. And it is like a filter and all this stuff's coming through, but some stuff's going to get stuck in your filter, right? You're going to go, I never heard that before. I don't, that doesn't sound right. You know why it doesn't sound right? Because it's not. That was my angry preacher voice. <laughs> and when that stuff gets stuck in there, what do you do? Boop, you just cast, cast that stuff out because God's word is a filter. It is a standard of truth. It helps you know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, what is acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. And by the way, we live in a world that goes, well, you got your truth and I got my truth. No, there is one truth and that is God's truth. And ultimately everything will be measured up against what God says. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what you think or what I think. It only matters what God thinks. And this is a standard of truth for us. It teaches you what is true. Not only that, number three, check it out. It rebukes you when you stray. Uh, I'm not gonna do this, but I, if I said, hey, raise your hands if you've ever been rebuked by the word of God, I think most of us would do that, right? That's when you're, you're like reading your Bible, maybe you hear a preacher and all of a sudden, whoo, something stung, right? Man, God, whoa, just exposed something in my life. I'll never forget when, uh, when I was in college, I was living very, I was very wayward in this moment. I was just rebelling against God. I wanna do my own thing. I'm in college, God, leave me alone. I'll get back to you when I graduate, you know? And uh, God would not have it. And I remember there was a moment in time when God spoke to me through the word of God. At a, in Jeremiah 24, he said, choose you this day who you will serve. I'll never forget it. It was like he was pushing his finger right on my chest saying, Craig, you got a decision to make. Who are you gonna follow? You're gonna follow this crowd? You're gonna follow me. But you gotta make up your mind right now. And I'll never forget it broke me. I said, God, I wanna follow you. God, I wanna follow you. It is able to rebuke us when we are off base. Not because God's angry with us, but that God can do the next thing and that is correct us or correct you, it corrects you. You know, I remember when my kid, both of my kids had braces, right? But my second daughter, Abby, had it the worst. I mean, she went through braces twice. All right. And she had multiple teeth pulled. And I mean, we did the whole thing. We did the, we did the braces. We did the headgear. We did, but nothing compared to the worst of the worst. And that was the palate expander. You know what I'm talking about? This ancient form of torture device <laughs> that they stick in the roof of your mouth. And then you crank it a little bit every day. And it literally like expands their, their palate. And so she would come up, she was a little girl. She'd come up to me like in her PJs, ready to go to bed. And she would hand me the little wrench to, like to crank. And I would look at her and I'd go, Liz, 
I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't look in her eyes and just crank. I just couldn't. And she goes, oh, Craig, come on, just, just crank it. But I just couldn't do it, you know. But here's the deal. We, 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 we believed the process and we invested in the, in the braces and the T-pooling and even the pallet expander. And then over the course of time, slowly, surely, not overnight, but over the course of time, those teeth just all of a sudden started to come into alignment. That's what the word of God does. It, it slowly and surely brings your life back into alignment with God's will and God's purpose for your life. So it teaches you, it rebukes you, it corrects you. It also trains you in how to live your life. Uh, John, 1 John 2, 6, if anyone claims to live in him, he must walk as Jesus did. How do I know how to walk as Jesus did? To think like Jesus thought, to act like Jesus acted, to, to feel what Jesus feels, to do what Jesus did. I learn it from God's word. It teaches us how to do that. And then lastly, it equips you to serve others. This book is the only tool you really need to equip those uh, to walk with God. It's a, it's a tool of ministry. It is the tool of ministry. It, through this book, you can lead people to Christ. Through this book, in this book, you can root people in Christ. Uh, with this book, you can grow people up in Christ. With this book, you can send people out with the gospel. It all comes from this book. Do you understand now why Paul said, man, when the world's crazy, you gotta hold on, man. You gotta double down. You gotta grip tight. You gotta plant your feet on the solid ground of the word of God. So very practically now, I'm just about out of time, just practically now, um, how do you do that? Let me give you just three thoughts. They're super, super easy to understand. Uh, read it, write it, talk about it. Read it. Hey, folks, if you want to get into God's word, guess what you have to do? You have to read it. I sound like Captain Obvious, but you have to read it. Now, listen, there are a gazillion Bible reading plans out there. You can get on the Bible app. You can download gazillions of Bible reading plans. I am a one-year Bible guy. I've always, I've done the one-year Bible for probably 25 years. I'm still, I'm going to do the one-year Bible till I die probably. But it's just a way that it just lays it. It gives me a Bible reading plan. If I know the date, I know what to read. I just open up to the date and I just read what's there. But, but you have to have a plan, a time that you're going to be in God's word. Why not this week start a Bible reading plan? Why not this week, tonight, tonight when you get home, start thinking about, okay, what am I going to do this week? And I'm going to get into God's word this week. You've got to read it. And if you've got kids at home, man, read it when you put them to bed at night. Act it out. You'll sing goofy songs about it. I mean, just make it fun, but engage them. Put it in their heart and their mind. Um, do things in the summer where they memorize scripture and they play games with it. Whatever you got to do to get it in their head while they're young. Lay the foundation that they can build their life on. You got to read it. Number two, you got to write it. Listen, as you're reading God's word, you should never just read it. You should always read it with a pen in your hand, underlining the things that jump out and writing down what God taught you that day. Here's the thing, I want you to listen to this. As you write these things down, God is writing them on your heart. There's something about writing it down. This is what God said that etches it in your heart and in your mind. This is why I say, get your paper out, get your pen out, take some notes down. Some of you are like, Others, you're like, you know, but here's the deal. I don't do this because I, I, I think all I'm telling you is just, you know, Craig's, you got to write down Craig's jokes. All right. I'm telling you this because how cool would it be if you actually wrote down what God was teaching you and you thought about it during the week? 
right? Write it down. Write down what God says. I'm so thankful I've got journals that date back to the early 90s. And I can tell you when God spoke to me in key times in my life because I wrote them down. And the last thing is just talk about it. Talk about it at home. Talk about it. Uh, when, what, what is God saying to you? Text it to your kids. Get a family text going and just text out, hey, this is what God showed me today. Encourage each other in the word. Build each other up in the word. Share what God's teaching you. As you do these simple things, reading it, writing it, talking about it, you're saturating your heart in life with God's word. Listen, folks, the world's crazy. It's turbulent. All the more reason why we have to root ourselves in the word of God. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to give us a copy. And Lord, how, how privileged we are that we have a copy of your word. Lord, we know believers all over the world that would die just to have a page to read and yet we have your word Lord forgive us for neglecting it Lord forgive us for treating it lightly Lord I think about all the men and women throughout church history that literally gave their lives so that we could have a copy of this word and and to read it for ourselves Lord help us to treasure your word to savor your word to love your word, to to read it and obey it and to put your word in our hearts. Lord, help us to be people this week of one book. And Lord, through our attempt to master your book, Lord, we will find that your book is mastering us and shaping us to be more and more like you. Lord, help us put this into practice this week. Lord, we love you. We long for your coming. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.